And once again, we caution you. These stories are definitely not for the timid soul. So we tell you calmly and very sincerely, if you frighten easily, turn off your radio now. All right, Tom. What else you got to tell? Well, like I said, um, Judy Rose and I, uh, we wasn't here more than ten minutes, and uh, Mr. Cooper, he come banging on the door, you know. And we let him in, him and his wife. And I seen their little girl was hurt, so I, uh, I tried to call for help, you know, but phone's making this funny sound, you know. I tried and tried, and I couldn't call nobody. That's when Uncle Reed, uh, he come walking out of the bedroom, you know. He was dead a minute before. I swear to God. He was not dead. He couldn't have been. He, you were wrong. You made a mistake, that's all. He was dead. I know he was. What happened? Uncle Reed, he went after my cousin Satchel, you know. He went after him like, uh... I don't know. Anybody else in the house? No, just them. Tom. I'm afraid your cousin is dead. Mm. I know he's dead. He shot himself. I mean, Uncle Reed's coming after him and all, you know. I run down here and got the shotgun, but what could I do? You know, I couldn't imagine shooting Uncle Reed. Couldn't imagine doing a thing like that. This is Both Zero Podcast. I'm Tom Carnell. And I'm Langley West. And we are here for episode, what, 168? Look at us. Holy shit. Rocking in the free world. <laughs> uh, we're here with a guest. This guy is a writer. He's a director. He's an actor. Uh, I first met him on the phone, if that's medium. Um, uh, I interviewed him for a film he did called Madhouse back in 04 for Fangoria. Right. And immediately thought of him to bring him on the show. Yeah. Um, please welcome William Butler. Hello, hello. Hello. Hey. 100, 168? 68. 168. 168. Yeah. yeah. Holy mackerel. I didn't know there were that, that many of us in the horror world to even interview. Oh, we've had, we've had a lot of fun people on here. Yeah. Uh, Giovanni, you know, Giovanni Radici. Oh, nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, yeah that was a big pull. Barbara McNulty has been on and right. is coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're aces. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so you you were in, you were on a, a list of names when we first started kicking this idea around that we wanted to get on. So I'm really stoked that this is finally happening. One of the cool things that I like about talking to folks like you is that... Uh, this this idea of wearing several different hats, and uh, I come from the effects world, but you're doing uh, all of it, and that that to me is very impressive and and uh, uh, inspiring. Thank you. I, yeah, I have kind of a, a weird trajectory into show business. Business for one, I was raised around the carnival and the circus and all that, and I was always kind of in. 
the show world, and I was kind of a boring, pudgy-looking kid, and and I, you know, I'd always had dreams of becoming an actor. I just never really thought it was possible, and I was had been writing and writing and writing, and you know, somehow I somehow I got it together, and I and I launched into the acting world, and and had a great 15 years of that. But the truth of the matter is, you know, it wasn't really what I'm. I do best, and so I lucked out and kind of. Once I started getting kind of tired of sitting in the lobby to audition for stuff, and you know, for me, trying to stay skinny and camera is really hard for me because I'm not naturally like, you know, mm. I'm a plain dude. And you know, Hollywood did a pretty good job of you know, spit, spit shining me and making me look somewhat presentable. But it's a very hard battle, you know. Mm. And uh, so once I gave into like writing and directing, I just I really enjoy that so much more um, than than performing now. I, I love actors. I like working with them. I certainly love working in the effects world, but I'm just not that good at it. Uh, I'm curious. You you mentioned growing up in a uh, uh, like a carnival circuit. Just define that for me. It, it, was it was well, this like traveling carnivals or? Well, my parents my parents did catering. They did catering for, um, and we did food services for. The Ice Capades, Barnum and Bailey, all of the Disney on Ice shows, uh, all of the concerts that would come through town, uh, Kenny Rogers, Prince, Vanity Six, Hollow Note, all those. So when I was, uh, when I was nine years old, ten years old, my mother as a treat would put me in a shirt and a bow tie and let me bring the food back to the rock stars or or, you know, help drive the ice truck at the circus and all that stuff. Oh, nice. And um, so my parents did food services stuff, and then there was, you know, there was a crossover to um, the novelties and all that kind of stuff. So, And then we also did fairs, uh, which are really fun. I mean, I had a really great childhood in the sense that I was exposed to so many people, so many different kinds of people, and so many different aspects of... Um, of the entertainment world that I, 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 you know, it was a very natural thing for me to not be afraid to try any of it because I was around performers and producers hmm. pretty much my whole life. I'm, I'm reminded of, I'm trying to, re- I'm trying to recall, was it, it's either Johnny Whitaker, Mickey Dolenz was in a series called Circus Boy? I'm, I'm reminded of that. I <laughs> am I right or am I, uh, am I wrong? <laughs> Yeah, and um, I would like to say it was that magical, but it, it, uh, it definitely <laughs> was not. <laughs> I think out of the entire the entire uh, entire Carney staff, there was one complete set of teeth amongst you know two hundred people. It was oh a, my God. not not pretty. But it was it was it was it was. I mean, almost there's a little touch of that life in almost everything that I do because it's just I was just mesmerized. I would go. You know, by the time I was 13, I would go to the freak show tent and go hang out and talk to them and look at all the stuff. And nice. and there was a marionette show. Bob Baker marionette uh, was there, and oh, I would go Bob and hang Baker. out and watch them make, make the puppets and all that stuff. And actually, I knew Bob Baker when I was little. And then when I moved out here, I saw him eating in a coffee shop, uh, gosh, not even like maybe eight years ago, five years ago before he passed away. And he remembered me, which was so weird. That's wow. cool. That's cool. You know, that's yeah. who taught uh, Scott, Scott Land. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Scott Land has been on the show. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
You said, uh, you know, when all these bands and people would roll through town, where was town? Where did you grow up? Uh, uh, Fresno, California, Clovis, California, and we we kind of just did shows around that around that vicinity. It's like Central California. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, There's a lot of a lot of grapevines, a lot of meth labs. <laughs> yeah, especially now. You just described like aside <laughs> from the grapevines, like uh, pretty much all the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like they're known for their meth and grapes. Terrific. <laughs> when um, so so. Was was ultimately the goal to be an actor, and your journey through special effects um, was a means to an end, or was it a series of like succeeding upwards? Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. Uh, okay, for one, my parents gave me a Super 8 movie camera when I was in like fifth grade, and it was like the biggest mistake of their lives because I became fascinated with like making little movies and it's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to read and like make movies and see movies. And, um, it was around that time, not long after that, that John Bullich and I became friends. John was a Emmy award winning, uh, makeup artist from Buffy and X-Files. And, but we were, we were little, we grew up together and, uh, I had entered, um, one of my films that I had made into a, uh, a, um, film contest film festival in Fresno of all places and uh, the guy that ran it said oh I know this kid that you should be friends with because he does these special makeup effects stuff so I met John at a very early age and from a very early age we both just said that we're going to move to LA and we're going to work on film he was going to make the monsters and I was going to direct them and um, and then uh, I, I, I stumbled into and I hate when people say this but I really did I you know, I'm kind of a loud mouth. I'm, sometimes I'm funny, I think. And I was being a loud, funny, loud mouth at, at, in the alley behind the Good Company Players Theater with my friend Muffy Bolding um, when I was about 15, 16 years old. And I got asked to be in a play there, and I really um, loved performing. And I was never really confident about the way I looked and all that stuff. And I never thought it was possible because I thought I was rather ordinary and um, I just ended up doing a lot of plays there. And then I started dumping weight when I got older, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm, 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 I'm not that bad. You know, I thought, okay, I look all right. So I decided I was going to try acting, and my, my father uh, was like, you know, you, you're, what do you, who do you think you are? And I'm one of those people that, like, when they tell me I can't do something, then I just try to do it just to spite them. So I really believe that my father's disapproval kind of fueled my I'll show you mentality, even though I really was a filmmaker. And um, But then I started booking. I moved to L.A., and um, I started booking movies. And, you know, I just did, I think because I didn't know that it was hard, I was booking because I wasn't particularly talented, and I just was, I'd go in there like, okay, I'm ready to do this, and I had been making movies, I knew about the process, I had been around the entertainment business my whole life, so I was very comfortable around executives, around casting people, I was not afraid at all, and still am not, and uh, um, some, sometimes to my detriment, but anyway, um, so I, I, I wish I would keep my mouth shut sometimes, but anyway... Um, uh, uh, these things happen. So I, <laughs> yeah, I've told people to. In fact, I think I'm pretty much uh, pretty sure I told the owner of Madhouse to cram the movie up his ass at a certain point. There so we go. Probably why my 
my three-pitcher deal kind of ended quickly there. But anyway, uh, and it, basically I started acting, and then as I was acting, I was also kind of for extra money. I was writing for National Lampoon Magazine back when it was cool, and uh, and doing live shows and improv and. I don't know. I just eventually, like I said, I just got kind of tired of um, of auditioning. And, and my career, I was a huge horror fan, and I would not say no to anything that was horror. I loved it. And in some ways, I don't think it typecast me, but I it, it took the sheen off of my potential serious uh, dramatic acting career. Sure. And I sitcom. So I thought, well, I'm a filmmaker. If I try to make a movie... They're, I have a fan base, and they're not going to say, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't know that they could say no, but I didn't think they were going to say no, and as because I carried myself that way in the meeting, they greenlit my movie. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but the, anyway, that's basically. Well, that's I, I, I find, I find stories like this when we talk to people endlessly fascinating because the one overriding thing that uh, that everybody seems to have is this love of cinema. Or love of show business, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, and they don't, and and often they're like, you know, uh, you know, sometimes you get the guy that's like, you know, this is what I want to do, and that's, you know, and they just, you know, they're lucky, they go straight through, and that's sure. what they do. But a lot of people come yeah. to it, and it's like I, I was craft services for years, or mm-hmm. I, they, they mm-hmm. just, as long as they were involved, right, you know, and then, that's how I was. Yeah, I, that's how I was when I when I started working for Beekler, John Beekler Shop, which which was at the time called MMI. Um, I just swept the floors. I I just said I'll do anything. I'll dump the garbage. I'll sweep the floors, and I did it for about a month for free. I didn't even get paid. And um, when a movie came in, he he didn't want me to leave because I was such a hard worker. I worked three times harder than he than he expected me to, and I was just happy to be anywhere mm-hmm. around filmmaking. And um, and then I got a job. I mean, that's really how it's really how it's done. It's it's not that hard to figure out. But it's it's very amazing that a lot of people in Los Angeles don't ever figure that out. They just want to get discovered, you know. And and I hate to sound like an old codger, but since I am one, I guess it's okay for me to say that nothing drops in your lap anymore. It just really doesn't. You right. Know? You have to generate your generate yourself. And you know what? Thank God for those horror fans because those guys are loyal. Yeah, they are. They're you know very I mean? nice. I mean, I'm still, I'm still welcome to these autograph signing things, and I'm always stupefied that not only do they know who I am, but they often they'll say lines from the movie that I don't even remember. Yeah, they yeah. are a one a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful bunch. With, I mean, I've met thousands of people, and I could name two people that freaked me out. And other than that, they're like the most loving people on the planet, and funny, and. Mm-hmm. You know they they don't take horror too serious, and they you know that's a good crowd. You know, I love and they them. and they dearly love the product. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. like like you you see these tattoos coming up of people having t- you know tattooing their favorite scene or whatever. Sure, but sure, yeah. sure. Um, before we 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 jump onto the stuff that you're doing now, I want to ask you about a couple of things that you were involved with. Um, your IMDb, there are little nuggets in there that I, I, I want to ask you about. You worked on Rennie Harlan's prison. I did, yes, I did. How was that? Uh, I, uh, I, that's one of those films that no one ever talks about, talks about, but yeah. it's great. It's really good. It's a very, very good movie, and I, I'm all I'm all over that movie, my, the stuff that me and Mike Deke did. Um, let's see. Oh, you worked with uh, Mike Deke. But, yeah, Mike Deke's a really good friend of mine. We oh, lived okay. in Italy together for... Uh, for almost 
God, you know everybody. Five years. <laughs> working for uh, working for uh, Charlie Band, we lived in Italy for almost five years. It was the best, oh, that makes, most that magical makes sense. Time. Man. Yeah, so, working so for Charlie, Charlie had been Band. doing all those movies. Yeah, Charles had been doing all those movies in Italy, and um, and then there was so much demand for uh, movies at the time that he could finally afford to actually start shooting them in the U.S. So it was like the first movie he'd done in the U.S. in a really long time. And we were a very well-oiled machine by then, the MMI team. We had really had the effect stuff down and a process of how we executed everything. And um, I got sent there uh, with Mike Zeke and, uh, gosh, I can't even think who else, maybe Jeff Farley. And we, we went there, and um, that's where I met my... Future roommate Vigo Mortensen was on that movie, right? And yeah. uh, became, became friends with uh, Rennie Harlan uh, there and uh, Chelsea Field. Um, yeah, it was a great movie. We shot at the Rollins State Penitentiary, which is a closed-down penitentiary, mm-hmm. and um, it was just a very, very well-done film. Like, had a great time. Me and Mike did all the. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the movie. There's a scene where a man is in a chair and barbed wire like wraps yeah. all around yeah, him. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty much me and Mike Deke doing all that. We just, we sat around making barbed wire out of speaker wire and little pieces of something like uh, soldering, soldering wire. Mm-hmm. And we made miles of this like barbed wire. And then all that stuff of the, the, all the, the wire crawling and wrapping around that guy, that's just me and Mike with like uh pieces of PVC pipe with it hanging above him and like wrapping it around him, wrapping it around his leg. It was really a shit rig operation, but it, it ended up looking really good. A lot of reverse shots. Right on. Stuff there's like a couple, that. There's a couple of signposts in the way all what you just said that I want to go back to. <laughs> We're gonna unwrap this. Um you you live with Vigo Mortensen and Anaxine Servanka. Yeah, Servanka, yes. Servanka. Uh, yep. we, we I w- we were in the same house that was like cut in half, I guess it's called the duplex. Okay. Was so this So I uh was, was this where was this in the progression of X? Oh man, they were on fire. It was um, okay. Wow. It was during uh, right before the See How We Are album. I forget what the, the other album was. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I uh, met Vigo at the at the. Um, I think I've told the story before. I hope it's not too boring. But like, I was in the Holiday Inn in Raleigh and sitting there exhausted from flying and this guy comes walking into the restaurant with no shoes on and like comes walking through the restaurant no shoes on sits down at the table and is like scribbling in this book and I was like who is this fucking poser like my god put some shoes on you're gross <laughs> and like just, so like they, they tell me on my call sheet okay uh, you and uh, Vigo Mortensen are going to ride in the same van on the way to work and I was like, okay, I didn't know it was that guy with no shoes. So the next morning, I'm in the van, and this guy comes walking out again, no shoes on, freezing cold, gets in the van, and he's like, oh, hi, I'm Vigo. I'm like, oh, God. And uh, he said, are you one of the actors? He said, well, are you one of the actors in the movie? I said, no, I am an actor, but I'm, I'm not acting in this movie. I'm helping with the effects unit. And he said to me, you know, I, I knew you were an actor because there's just, so much going on behind your eyes. And it was like instant, instantly in love with him. Yeah. Like, oh, you're my best friend. Like, we have to hang tell me out. More about my, tell me more about my eyes. So anyway, we became like we became like best friends on the movie. Really fun. We I don't know if he wants me to say we did mushrooms together. We went and rode horses together. I mean, this was the funnest shoot you could ever think of. 
and um, we, uh, I was in a bad living situation. And he's like, I, there's, there's a half this house that I live in is for rent. You got to come check it out. I went check it out. I, I moved in there, and we were friends. I was like, we were like best friends for about, gosh, I want to say six or seven years. They had a baby, and I'm still friends with the baby now. And Vigo's doing really well. And, and I mean, this is before Vigo was like famous. Like, right, right. It was. We were starving. We would split a can of like vegetarian chili and watch videotapes and uh, movies and read and just oh, we were such little hippies. We had such a great time. Good times. Really good time. I really had the feeling that Vigo is one of those guys that every every production he works on, people come away feeling this way. Mm. Absolutely, he's uh, there's not one there's not one single fake thing about him. And the whole thing with the no shoes and all that shit, it's it's one hundred percent real. He's just like in his head all the time. He's absolutely hilarious. That's the one thing I can share with you that nobody knows. He is one of the funniest people you ever meet. He has the most funniest sense of humor. And uh he's of course really kind and really generous. Uh I have to say he's up in the top two of the most exemplary people I have ever had the fortunate, you know fortunate um, chance of meeting mm-hmm. he was a very good um i may or may not have struggled with a little drug problem somewhere in the late 80s and he helped me get through that like who, just, who just didn't so yeah, I know. who didn't yeah right like yeah whatever didn't lie <laughs> hey yeah, uh, right. in 88 you worked um on cellar dweller i want to ask about interacting with yvonne de carlo <laughs> you already know the story, man. I, no, no, I know. Actually, but no. clearly I've hit gold here. <laughs> All right. Well, you got a good story coming to you. I just assumed that you knew the Yvonne DiCarlo story because it's such a good Yvonne DiCarlo story. So, first of all, Cellar Dweller was this movie. It was the, literally the last uh, Empire Pictures movie to be made before they closed down the production company. The banks closed down the production company. And at that time, Charlie didn't even really know anything. I've talked to him about the movie. He barely even remembers anything about the movie because everything was so crazy back home in L.A. And uh, this movie called Cellar Dweller, John Beekler, I think, wrote it, or he, I know he directed it. And it was about basically this this woman who's a comic book artist that when she would draw things in this comic book, that this werewolf who was the star of the comic book, he would come to life, and if she drew, she started slowly realizing that if she drew him killing someone that she didn't like, the monster would come and, and kill him. So As you do. This... <laughs> exactly. I wish I could do it. Um, so anyway, so we have this gigantic, like, werewolf demon suit that, I'm not kidding you, was easily six inches thick all around. It was, I think it was a foam-fabricated body, and the head was sculpted. I think it was a decent sculpture, but the eyes are a little bit janky because we didn't have any money for like the proper technology. So I think the eyes just went up and down. And uh, Mike Deke wore the suit. Okay, so before we get to Von Carlo, which I promise I'm not going to get, there will be a big payoff with Von Carlo. I just want to say that this suit was the stinkiest suit you've ever smelled in your whole life. Like there was no <laughs> ventilation. And, and Deke would get in that suit and we, we would all like, oh my God, it just smelled like a... We used, to, we used to say it, was, it smelled like a yak. It just smelled like a yak would smell. It was horrible and hairy and gross. And so all these sort of has-been, that's not fair to say, but yeah, they were has-been. 
Like uh, the guy who played like Ben Casey was in the movie, and the girl Pamela, somebody from Dynasty, was in the movie. Pamela and Martin. She. Pamela no, Martin. No, I wish. Oh yeah. Pamela, somebody. She's like really hot. She was in Play- Playboy's really, really sexy older lady. Definitely would be called a cougar. But someone hadn't told this girl that she wasn't really the character that she played in Dynasty. So she walked around like a complete bitch the whole time and was bossing everyone around. I was like, honey, you're not really like a multimillionaire. You're just an actor. Like, calm down. Like, yeah. ordering people around. So anyway, so so the, she was in the movie. Brian Robbins from Saved by, Saved by the Bell, I think. You no, know, head of the class was in the movie. And uh, Deborah Ferentino, very nice, funny lady. And I get word that Yvonne Carlo is in the movie. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm such a nerd for the Munsters. I love everything Munsters. And I certainly love her history. She's been, you know, she's like one of the most beautiful women on the planet. And she's from a Broadway show, Follies. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so awesome. So go on set and... The one thing about Yvonne that was really weird was, number one, was she couldn't remember any lines. So she would take the script every morning and she'd cut all the lines into, like, these little strips of paper, like little tiny, each sentence was a strip of paper, and she'd put, she'd tape one sentence on the back of a coffee cup, she'd put one sentence in a drawer, she'd put one on, like, a letter opener, and then and then she did this amazing dance in every scene where she would pick up her coffee cup and take a sip of the coffee and then kind of admire the you know the scene coming out of the coffee not realizing that she's reading the line and say you know i've been running this girl's school for over 40 years and she set the set the cup down and she'd open the drawer and grab a pencil and say so what and she'd look at the line so what makes you think that you can tell me how to do my job? But she was a master <laughs> at doing this. It was it was genius. Me and B. Clear were laughing so hard because we're like, God forbid anybody take that coffee cup away. She's not going to know what to say. So so that was the, the, the first thing that kind of was, you know, she was older, so I was like, okay, that's okay. But the one thing that she did that was really strange was she had this crocheted afghan with her. And no matter where she went, she would meticulously... Like if it was a, a chair, say it was a couch on set and she wanted to sit there, she would meticulously put this crocheted like blanket on the couch and tuck it all in, make it really tight before she would sit down. And then she, if she was sitting in a chair, she'd fold it and sit on it. And like she, she always had to sit on this, this crocheted blanket. So one day we're filming and um, uh, she's in the other room and I, I came in to go see her look, you know, reading her lines off all the, you know, off the stapler and off the wall and, you know, off the pencils and, <laughs> and I'm kind of watching, watching her do it. And I sat down, there was a bed in the bedroom set and I sat down on the bed and, um, and then it was dragging on, dragging on. I kind of leaned, laid back on the bed. So my feet were on the floor and my back was on the bed. And I didn't realize that Yvonne's blanket was on the bed. So I laid back, and all of a sudden, I hear, My blanket! That's my fucking blanket! Get off my blanket! It's just like having a heart attack. I like dove to my feet. I was like running into the wall like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't know it was your blanket. I thought it was part of the city. Yeah, well, you should know better. You should know better. You shouldn't be sitting on people's things. 
young man, right? <laughs> so I just was like, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. Yvonne Lily Munster, like, hates me. <laughs> so the, the thing about filming in Italy is that they drink, like, all day long. They drink at lunch. They drink wine at lunch. And they have a limoncello, frozen limoncello, at about three. And then they have coffee to get up that buzz off. And then they have another limoncello. Uh, at the end of the day, and in Italy, this limoncello is so good, you guys. It's like it's like lemon flavored, like caro syrup that like instantly gets you drunk. It's like the best thing ever. And um, so I was like a little bit scared. I was like, oh man, I pissed her off. And so I went into the bar, and uh, I'm sitting on the bar stool drinking my limoncello, and she comes walking in, and she sees me. She sits a few feet down. She doesn't acknowledge me, but she looks. I can see her eyeball looking down on that limoncello like she sees that I'm like drinking in the middle of the day right so about 10 minutes later she like walks up to me and she goes young man I just want to let you know that all is forgiven and I was like oh thank you Mr. Colin really sorry really sorry I didn't want to like I didn't know and I would never want to upset you I'm a big fan of yours she said yes 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 all of that she said she leans in close to me she goes when you return to the soundstage could you please be good boy? And she makes like a makes like a little half inch measure with her finger. She goes, "Would you please bring me a measure of gin in a coffee cup to the set when you return? And don't let anyone see you give it to me. Just set it on the table beside me." I said, "Absolutely, Mr. Carlo." So like she goes back to the set, and I tell the bartender, "Fill that fucking cup up to the brim." <laughs> so they like fill it. Still a little cup up with gin, right? And I come back and I'm balancing it, right? And you should have seen her eyes light up like it was Christmas morning. I put that, put that cup down, put the cup down beside her, and she thank you, Bobby. She called me Bobby. Thank you, Bobby. And I was like, yes, yes, Mr. Carlos, this is drink, drink, drinking drink gin. And throughout that shoot, I, I made many, many trips to the bar to like get Mr. Carlo her quote unquote coffee. And um, so I thought, wow, that was that was really cool. And the day came where uh, where we wrapped, where she wrapped, and she actually came to set to like say goodbye to me. And of course, still got my name wrong. But Bobby, Bobby, I wanted to say it was very nice meeting, making your acquaintance. And you know, I thought for just one second, I thought for one moment that maybe she like. Give me the blanket or something. Here, take my blanket. I want to show you a token of goodwill. But that didn't happen. So no. anyway, that's my Yvonne DiCarlo story, and uh, it's a pretty damn good one, i got to say. It, I, yeah, I, I totally yeah, agree. <laughs> um, yeah. You haven't lived until you're screamed at by your heroes. Right. <laughs> or <clears throat> touching their things. Right, right. <laughs> my fucking blanket. Uh, th there's so much on your effects background that uh, there was a time that you were you were working on on like all the all the uh, high profile stuff from from well, Dust Till Dawn, Army of Darkness. And I, um, uh -huh. I, I wanted to ask you about that in, in in relation to your acting. Did acting came first, right, or did the effects? Yeah, came acting. First? Well, filmmaking, like filmmaking from in theater when I was little, and then when I moved to LA, acting was first. And um, the I just helped in Beaker Shop, and then all the all those guys like Howard Berger and Bob Kurtzman, right? And Greg Nicotero, all those people. Nicotero was never at Beaker's, but 
there was only like five or six effect shops in town, so we all knew each other. And so in regards to, um, yeah, like Greg, Greg was my, became a really, really good friend of mine, and he actually did the effect on the Chainsaw Massacre that I was in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then so when I wasn't working, when I wasn't working, um, and he was engaged to uh, Kate Hodge for a while, so we really hung out a lot. I still love him. I talk to him off, as often as I can, considering how busy he is now. But um, yeah, I would when I wasn't booking acting work, I would just hit all those guys up and say, "Hey, let me um, can I come help?" And then they'd hire me. So on Dust of Dawn, I made all the um, and listen. When I say I made them, they told me what they wanted, and I did it. It wasn't like I went in there and engineered anything. Sure. I was basically mixing polyfoam and pouring it on the floor. But I made all the, like, when the bodies melted, the vampires melted, there was kind of a foundation of what looked like goop, but it was actually expanding foam. So I made a bunch of dead bodies that were uh, squishy and gross. And then I, oh, my God, I dremeled. No, that was on Dust Till Dawn, and then on Army of Darkness, my God, I dremeled all, and it wasn't just me, I dremeled a lot of the frigging bones for all those skeleton puppets, and believe me, that was a task. Mm. Yeah. So I tore those, tore those skeletons up, and then each little thing had to be kind of sanded, and and I really appreciated it, though. They paid really well, and you know, those makeup shops, I don't know how they are now, but back then, you're just laughing all day long because people are such characters, and they're all artists. They're all interesting, and you yeah. know, I just love, I love, I still go help my friend Ken Hall. He has like a, a walk-around shop. Like, if I'm not, if I'm not doing anything, I still help Ken Hall, too. I love, I love foam fabrication. I love, I like working on stuff like that. So. Yeah, I like, Ken, I am Ken, lucky. I like watching Ken's on Facebook. He posts a lot of pictures of yeah. what he's working on. It's very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, he, he always does all the cool stuff. Yeah. I want to ask you about another film, 1987, Terror Night. You worked with John yeah. Ireland, Cameron Mitchell, and Alan Hale Jr. <laughs> I did. So at that time, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Uh, I was, um, at the time I was in the zone, I was booking like nonstop. Like if anything scary, I just would go get it. And um, I was always, you know, the best friend in, like, every franchise ever created. And, and, and the low-rent movies, they were no-brainers. Like, I didn't hardly have to audition, and that was one of them. Um, I think Ken originally wrote the movie, and then it kind of evolved into another production. And, um, yes, and I was kind of a prick at that point. Like, I, I was really, I took acting very seriously, seriously, and I was working a lot. And um, I really kept to myself because, you know, I, I, when I was performing, I, I wasn't really confident, and you know, half of performing is being very confident. So I would kind of hide in the shadows to not let anyone really get to know me because I, I didn't want to get nervous. So, you know, in hindsight, I was very—I uh, did not talk to those guys very much because I was intimidated by them, frankly. Um, Aldo Ray was a little drunk on set. Alan Hale was really, really nice. Um, and I was just very tight-lipped with him because I just, just I don't know, I, I, it's one of my biggest regrets, to be perfectly honest with you. I regret not being friendlier to them because I am a very friendly person, but at the time, I, you know, there's a lot of personal shit going on with me that I didn't want anyone to know about because it was a different time in yeah. regards to drugs and who I am and who I am at home and all that shit. I just didn't want anyone to really get to know me because... I want. I was grooming myself to have a serious career. Little did I know I was dismantling my career by being in all these horror films. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay. lesson learned. 
Uh, I also want to ask about 1990, Buried Alive, Robert Vaughn, Donald Pleasance, John Carradine, and Ginger Lynn. Tell me. You're asking all the. You're asking about all the right movies. Good, thank you. Uh, I tell me that at one point, Ginger Lynn and John Carradine did something together. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so first of all. It was a Harry Allen Towers movie, and I was so happy to be in the canon sphere of productions because you usually get hired by one company, and I suddenly was getting pulled into these canon productions, and uh, they shot everything in South Africa. So we went there, and um, number one, Ginger Lynn is one of the nicest, coolest human beings on the planet. I was absolutely fascinated with her uh, candor about discussing porn and the process of it and 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 she's just really funny and really nice and she just does not have any filter she'll just tell you any story you want to hear really really good person she played my girlfriend in the movie we got along really really well and um the thing okay i'll get to the john carradine thing where i look like a douchebag uh last uh john uh, robert vaughn was a complete prick who uh, was just so mad that he was in the movie. Like, I think he knew Harry Allen Towers, and I think he did it as a favor, but he was so angry through the whole thing that if, if you've ever seen the movie, which I don't know how, I don't know if you could even watch it anymore, um, there's a fight scene between him and I, and he pulled me around the corner before the, um, before the fight scene. He said, now, if you hurt me during this scene, your career is over. So keep that in mind. So if you watch in the fight scene, I'm pretending in the scene I'm pretending to be passed out and tied up, but then he comes up close to me and I dive for him and I shove him backwards. If you look in the movie, I just completely really shoved him. I like sho- I knock him to his feet, like him knock him on his ass. <laughs> Looked at him with a smile like career over. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then um and then oh the other thing was brilliant and unexpected was that Donald Pleasance was in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And, and, um, he said, you know, like I said, I was getting, I was getting a eyedropper of full of myself at a certain point. And he had these Jolly Ranchers that he ate in the movie, but he was eating them all day long too while we were filming. So him and I were sitting there eating Jolly Ranchers outside this, like the school where we were filming. And he said, so how long have you been acting? And I said, uh, about six years. And he's like, you like it? And it's like, it's all I think about it. I said, but I, but I, I, I'm starting to think that maybe I'm I'm doing damage to my career by doing so many horror films. And he looked at me over his glasses and said, well, what is it that you want to do? And I said, well, I want to be an actor. And then he looked at me and he goes, well, from where I'm sitting, it looks like you're doing just that. There you go. Like, oh, shit. I'm like, okay, I'll shut up. And Dude. he was really nice, really, really good guy. And um, uh, finally, I will say that... Uh, God, this is bad. So John Carradine, uh, it was his last movie, and um, he was in a wheelchair, and he was completely unaware of where he was, like most of the time. Oh, that's a drag. If you watch the movie. So being a smartass that I am with no filter, every time they would say, "Could, could, could someone bring John to set? I would say under my breath, well, you better do it quick. <laughs> you know what? I just saw my crap. I saw their crap services. You better do it quick. And I was thinking that I'm funny. Meanwhile, the guy dies on the plane on the way home. Uh, oh, oh, one of the many times to shut my mouth. 
Yeah. I killed John Carradine. I know, right? <laughs> um, people most know you for Night of the Living Dead. Um, and I'm sure you've oh, been asking. Is that right? Yeah. Qualify that for our listeners because they'll be confused if you don't. I didn't oh. know that that's the. I didn't know that that's true, but um, uh, that's awesome because it was by the time I was in that Living Dead, I had actually figured out how to act. So, <laughs> so I'm very glad to be down for that. Yeah, I, you know, I'm one of those people that I moved to LA and I just started acting. I didn't even know how to do it. I just was like, oh, okay, I'm, all right. Yeah. No, I know how. To, I guess I know how to do it. Um, but by the time I was in, so so I was by by, by the time I was in the movie, I actually did feel good about it and basically what happened was I was working on Young Guns 2 with Vigo in New Mexico and John Bullitch called me he goes dude I just read the, the reboot of of uh, Night of the Dead that Savini's doing and the part is like you could really murder this and by that time I had been working you know actually and he's like I'm going to tell Savini I'm like okay so he tells Savini and Savini's like oh that might be a good idea it's a different interpretation of the character more, a little more vulnerable and um, and Savini said to John Bullich, have him put put him on tape. So Vigo, actually the guy who did my, who directed me and did my um, my taping, and then we sent it there, and I never even had a meeting with them. Like, I booked the movie based on the fact that I had been in the Friday franchise, and that really because John Bullich, my best friend, had... Um, had recommended me. I mean, so if it wasn't for John, I wouldn't have been in the movie. And, you know, Savini to take a chance on me to do my interpretation of the character, which was, which was different than the first one. Um, and I uh, was so nervous because I'm such a fan. I was getting, like, a fanboy's dream come true, like, appearing in all these franchises. And this was the grandfather of all, fran- you know, franchises. Mm-hmm. Franchise now, I guess. Um and I was so nervous and so scared. And Tony Todd was just such a great actor. And Patty Tallman and, oh, my sweet Tommy Towles. Um, oh, I miss him very much. Um, anyway, uh, I was so scared. And I just, uh, the hardest day, my first day was the scene where I, t- I do like eight pages of dialogue describing what had happened. And, you know, acting is hard enough as it is. But when you're saying things that are completely crazy and, like, it's really hard to like not look like a jerk doing it and uh i remember doing my first scene they had me sitting on an apple box i was supposed to be sitting in a chair but i was sitting on an apple box and not even three feet from me looking at the monitor was george romero and chris romero his wife they were watching the monitor and i just was thinking well this is it that everyone's going to finally figure out that i don't know what i'm doing and i'm going to get fired after this first <laughs> take and um and i did my first take and I looked over at George, and he gave me the thumbs up. And I just was like, "Oh my God!" I just got the thumbs up from George Romero. Nice. So uh, that made me that fueled my fire. And then I was like, "Okay, I can do this." Uh, you know, and that was the one reason why I wasn't really afraid of like getting into acting from being around actors and seeing how much they fuck up all day long. I was like, "Oh, okay, they they, they mess up all the time, all mm. the time." Right. So, right. Uh, right. It's right. not like you think it is, where the, everybody's off book and all that. People are like screwing up lines and all this stuff. So. So it just made me more confident, which was great, because I was nothing like that character in real life. And so, again, I just didn't want anyone to figure out that I was faking it. So I guess I did a decent job acting. So mm-hmm. I'm, glad that th- I'm glad that that's how people know me. The thing that I first noticed when the film came out was the, was the effects work. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I have a background in funeral service, and I had gone to mortuary college. And um, mm-hmm. 
some of the most realistic zo- dead people I've ever seen on sure. the film. So yeah, um, and I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you why that's one hundred percent because of John Bullitt and um, Everett Burrell. Um, I don't know if you know this, but my, John died about a year and a mm, half ago. Right. Um, and uh, he helped create those zombies. And I'll tell you why they're so realistic. Because all our childhood growing up, John would take like he would steal the like chicken out of the freezer and he put it on the roof of their house in Fresno, and he would take Polaroids of it rotting to like rotting away to nothing. He'd take pictures of it and he would he catalog them. And literally, he'd take, like, chicken skin and he'd put it on, like, a plate. He'd take pictures of, he'd take pictures of it as it rotted away to nothing. Like, he was absolutely fascinated with um, keeping things as real as they could be. There was another thing that all these makeup artists used to have. It was called the forensic medicine. Hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and they would all, like, they would all stylize stuff from that. In fact, there was, I still remember page 511 where a man had, like, killed himself He'd made this giant dildo out of yes, yes, yes. that would be picture. My God. And he's and he's like he looks like a Don Martin. It's like a, like a Don Martin yeah, drawing. Yeah. Like, it's like a uh, out. He's got this giant tree tree trunk. It's like a stationary bike. Anyway, it's, uh, it's it's a, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's like it's like like a trap. <laughs> it's amazing and horrible. But anyway So John and those John and those boys used to just always do everything from those books. And um, some of it's really gross. Like some of the, I thought some of the stuff in Day of the Dead was just too realistic. Yeah, it's so gross. Yeah, and I've heard that story about that um, that Savini insisted on using real guts for the part where Toswell gets ripped and I think he gets ripped in half. Yeah, and they bought all these pig entrails and goat entrails and they put them in the freezer in the or in the refrigerator and the scene got switched to like two weeks later. So if you watch the movie, um, first of all, they were, everyone was throwing up because it stuck like rotting like pig intestines. Yeah. But if if you look at the movie, you can see uh, you can see the actor like gag. gag oh, he was miserable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Horrible. Um, and, my, and, and lastly, on, on night, I want to ask you about what is undoubtedly my personal favorite scene in the film, and that is to- when Tommy kisses Judy Rose. It's, uh-huh. it's one of the most awkward kisses of all time. My I friend. fucking hate it. I'll tell you why. There's many reasons for that, but one of the main reasons is uh, I hated her at the time. Uh, she had never done a movie before, and um, I certainly don't hate her now. That's a very strong word, but again, a little bit full of myself, and I'm not a redneck that easily tears apart a dinner table and nails it to a wall. So she had never done a movie before. She did not understand the concept of hitting her mark at all. And so I would do a scene where me and Tony would flip over a, a real dining room table, rip it apart, carry the fucking thing over to the wall, nail it to the windowsill with a wrench that they hadn't, they hadn't like fixed to like, you know how a wrench like comes unscrewed and like gets bigger and bigger? Like you'd think that they would have welded it all together, but they didn't. So every time I would get the, the, the wrench would like, the fall apart in a million pieces. I, you know, I was just such a weak, pussy actor that I just hated doing. We do like eighty takes of this thing, and every and then while we're doing it, the girl's not on her mark and it's out of focus. I just, oh my god, I remember going off and saying like, this is 
killing me. You have got to learn how to like hit your mark and, and, and remember your lines at the same time. Now, she's a very, very nice person. This is all completely on me, I'm saying. I was a prick at the time. And uh, I just was so like, so by the time we got to that, I wanted to strangle her. So I also fought it because I didn't feel like there was a time to do that. I, I felt like, why are we taking time to do this? This is not a movie moment at this point in the story. Like, but I wasn't smart enough back then. I, if it was in the script, I would just do it. I'll tell you something else that I hate about that movie. Is there was a line, and now if I would be doing it now, I would tell them I'm not doing it or I would change it. There's a line that goes, if I'm not some kind of stupid, it's like the stupidest line I've ever heard. <laughs> and I, could, I literally could not form my mouth to say, you can see in the movie, I go, you can see me like trying to remember the line and like, what does this mean? And like, you know, I think he had some hick, hick in his mind and that somebody with a different cadence could, could pull that line off. But I wasn't smart enough to say, I'm not saying it that way. I'm going to say it this way. I, I would do, I don't know why I never did that, but I, whatever was in the script, I would just shut up and do. And I do believe, honestly, that it's why I worked as much as I did. I would sit there quietly reading a book, and then they would ask me to come do my thing, and then I would do it. I would never complain. I would never change the, I never complained about my hotel room. I never changed the line. And I certainly would not tell them to take their kiss out of their movie, even though I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. That's it's, the main reason why it looks as dumb as it does. It, it just does. seems like someone told you to, to do it, and you were yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, that is exactly why, because why in the fuck are we kissing at that moment? That's yeah, stupid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Something else, the line, before we move on to your directing and writing, I want to ask you about something I saw in your IMDb. What is the Chris Maloney freakout? I have no idea. Really? <laughs> you know, it no, says you're in no. it. You know what, these, what people do? There's this guy, was filmmaker, he does all these things in the valley. Joe Castro, I think, is his name. I, I'm, I'm very good friends with all the old school um like the original kind of scream queen people were my friends like Frank Stevens and Linnea Quigley and those are very good friends because we all moved here at the same time so Brink asked me to come and be in some thing that she was directing and what this what they did well not what they did what ended up happening I don't know who did it is they filmed me on a green screen I wasn't even acting anymore but for her I would do anything because she's like one of the nicest people and they filmed me and then and then what they do is because I'm on a green screen they just cut me into like a bunch of bunch of fucking things. So every now and then, my name will come up on some movie. I'm like, I never did that movie, and then and then I'll realize that they've just green screened me into some other thing. Like like having me in a movie is really adding to the to the quality. Or the, um, <laughs> like, I don't know why they would keep doing it. Like, it's like hey, we, we have this Butler footage of movie. Bill. Like, woohoo. <laughs> um, I'm gonna see. There's yeah, one. Will oh, William Butler's next movie is coming out. You know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's what that's 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 why, and I don't know. I have no idea what that fucking movie is. I would love to know. I've, I've written them several. I've written the IMDb and said I'm not in this. I it's don't think great, I'm in it, and they leave me up. It's a great band name, Chris Maloney, the guy, the actor yeah. Yeah. from SVU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, how about this? Right. Um, you work with Doug Tenaple, It says in something called Mothman. Nope. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it? Yes. Off? You did? Oh, oh okay, okay. You, you did. Okay, wait. Well, I was in a movie called Mothman. Okay. But I don't know who that person is. But that doesn't mean anything because uh, I don't know who anyone is. I never, I never, I, I'll tell you a good story. I'll not to get off the track, but 
I went to the Growlings the other night with Colleen Camp, my friend, and she was with some guy, and I was like, I know we've met before. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, we know each other. He's like pulling my leg on. And I realized it's like, it's like um, Alex Pettifer, the actor. He's like fucking hugely famous. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. You're like a movie star. He's like, oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, sorry. So I don't know who anyone is. I lay on the couch kissing my dogs and writing screenplays now, so I don't know who anyone is. So it's fully possible <laughs> that I know that person, but I, I can't remember. Well, just the fact that you you just yeah you, I was, you just flippantly said yeah went to the show I was with hanging out with Colleen my Kemp. friend with Colleen Kemp. Yeah. I'm like what you're, you're killing she's me she's like one of my best she's like one of my best friends she's, she's awesome most, in, she's the most extraordinary creature you'd ever have the good fortune of knowing in your whole life <laughs> she's done so much for me done so much for me you guys you have no idea you know she's like they call her the Oscar whisperer because every year. She has Hollywood's most powerful Rolodex. She has like she has like Tom Cruise's like cell phone number. Like this lady is is a bomb. Yeah. And so every year studios court her to throw all of their big Oscar parties when it comes time to be nominated. And I somehow am on her list of that. So I'm like the least famous person in the room. Like I always wow. get to go. And <laughs> That's it's wonderful. been so fun. And yeah, like I said, like. The fact that she's like, oh, yeah, my friend Alex is coming with us to the groundlings. I'm like, okay. I'm like, oh, yeah, do we know? Did you used to live in Fresno? No. We know each other? Yeah, we know each other. I'm like, where did I meet you? And then I'm halfway through the thing, I'm like, wait a minute. That's a kid from Magic Mike. <laughs> <laughs> that's the guy. That's Mike. So anyway. anyway. Um, yeah. So how does all of this lead to you working for ABC Family? Okay, so good question. You're you're a very very good interviewer. Thank okay, you. So, um, <laughs> started kind of winding down on um, performing on camera. I would start, like I said, to stay skinny. I was literally starving for 14 years. Like I went to bed hungry every single night to stay like bone skinny, and I was like, I am ready to fucking eat. I don't care anymore. I don't care how I look, and I want to just be myself. And uh, I thought, well, I could do um, voices. So, I had done a short film with Vigo, but we were working on a short film. The actress actually died halfway through it, so it never got finished. But we were making, and I showed Eric Rowland from The Bond what we were up to, and he liked it. So he gave me a job producing in their special projects department. And so because I wanted to keep my insurance for SAG, I started, um, I started doing voices on Power Rangers. I started doing bad guy voices, which was so much fun. And um, and from that, I kind of got in over at Saban, and then Saban bought Fox Family. And so I was a producer at the Fox Family Channel. And then, um, I hope I'm not getting off your question. But no, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. This is exactly okay. what we're... Okay, so for seven years, I worked in the best department on the planet. Listen to this. The rules of this company were this. The hours are basically 10 to 4.30 producing, and we would do everything. We would do music videos, trailers, shorts. Uh, if Haim wanted to do a pilot, he'd shoot a two-minute demo. So we were all these directors that you just get these assignments. One time it would be animation. One time it would be live action. One time it would be a music video. I mean, I directed about 300 things while I was while I was there at the company. And... Um, Little by little, we started hearing rumors that um, that the company was going to be sold to Disney. And, uh, you know, we were told time and time again that they were just rumors. But lo and behold, 
the company got absorbed and dismantled by Disney. They took out the competition. And I was one of about, um, I was one of a handful of people that got grandfathered into the ABC company, which owned, wait, Disney owned ABC. So yeah, so I got moved into that. So then I didn't like working at ABC and my friend Eric Covert, who was my creative director or executive at Saban, took me as a freelancer to Disney Channel and that's where I have been creating a lot of digital shorts for them. I took a little two-year hiatus, but I'm, I'm, I'm slowly coming back because I'm, I'm working on, I'm doing a lot less Disney Channel stuff because I'm, I'm just now launching my own thing, which is going to be the biggest and best thing that I've ever done. I'm having so much fun. So I'm hoping you guys are going to ask about it before we hang up. I am going to ask Absolutely. you about it. Absolutely. I, yeah, I yeah. want to first ask, um, I saw the, uh, the short you did, Mama Don't Make Me Put On The Dress Again. Oh, yeah, that music with, video. With Leslie Jordan. Down. Uh, it's yeah, so, he was, Leslie Jordan was also my roommate. It's so delightful. <laughs> Let, oh, my God. That is the most entertaining human being. We got in so much trouble, I cannot even tell you. Uh, we, uh, I was roommates with him right after uh, Vigo, and oh, my gosh. We, we, uh, we partied our asses off. We'd go to auditions, and we'd be in the bar by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and... <laughs> punching our way out of bars and punching each other and just whoring and doing drugs and just it was a terrific time. I can't, I, I can't recommend it. But anyway, so I love, I love the, I love the image of Leslie George, Jordan punching somebody. When you say uh, I got news for you, I got news for you. Leslie Jordan and I got into a fist fight in La Poubelle, which is a French restaurant in the bar. We got into a fist fight, <laughs> mouthing off at each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish. That, I, yeah. Why were there no cell phones? I, I, oh my I have God, to. Thank God, thank God. Thank God there there wasn't. All I can say. I have to say when you say I can't recommend it, I expected you to continue and say enough. <laughs> I can't recommend it enough. No, no, no. I, I mean, I'm, I'm. Listen, you know, John is dead, and we 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 all uh, parted our asses off. I can't deny that. Uh, my reputation, uh, you know. Yeah. Is, is not hard to like figure out in that world. We, you know, we we were from a time where we all partied like really hard. And um, now do I now do I actually at 53 years old do I now regret it? Yes, I do. I regret it very much. But back then, boy oh boy, I thought I was going to yeah. live forever. And just, I I had let, a me, great time. let me let me ask you a question. Really let me ask you a question as a man of a, a, a similar age. Um, do yeah. you regret it? Why do you regret it? I'll tell you why. Because I still have so many things that I want to do. And, you know, the thing about Johnny is Johnny was really at the end of his life, even though he was still young. He had won three Emmys, and he had done everything he wanted to do, and he was interested in producing, but he wasn't driven. And it's like he almost ran out of activities, and it's almost like God or the universe was just like, okay, you're not making what's left of you know of this life. You're not really using it. So hmm. it, it's like he was taken away. For me, I have there's so many things that I want to do still. Um, aside from just being a success at this new company that I'm launching, I want to like I, I'm single, so I don't have any kids. I don't have anyone to like have knowledge to. I want I want to do some stuff that 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 benefits the world. Our world is so awful right now. Like yeah. I just want to do make a lot of money and build a 
apartment building for actors when they come to L.A. or something or do something charitable or leave something on the my footprint of my presence that isn't just he's the guy who created the fucking Ginger Dead Man franchise. You know, it's like, I don't want to, like, I want to, I want to say Billy Butler was a decent dude who was charitable. And I, you know, I, I, I'm so anxious to like, to do good with the money and the, and the abilities that I have. So that's, that's kind of where I stand with that. I'm not ready to croak yet. And so that's why I'm saying, that's why I'm saying that all the speed and all the ecstasy and all the, acid and all the stuff that we did you know I know my organs are shot up like a fucking highway road sign I'm sure there's holes in everything my brain and everything and I regret that part of it I literally thought I was going to live forever you know and now I don't do any of that I drink like a fish but I uh, I don't um, I don't do any kind of stuff like that at all and I actually get very afraid for my young friends when I see them falling into it you know Mm -hmm. Well, because, I don't want to die, and I, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, you've yeah. seen, and you've seen people fall by the wayside along the way. Yeah, sure. about a third of my friends are dead at yeah. fifty years old. Debbie, yeah. Debbie Carrington just died. The per- actress Debbie Carrington, the little person. Yeah, I just she read just that. She just died like two days ago. It's like yeah. what the fuck. I know. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you have got to make every moment. You have to live every day like you're on vacation. You have to live, put your feet on the floor every single morning and thank the universe that you have the opportunity to be here and hug people that you love and be nice to people that irritate you because all this shit at the age I'm at now, I'm now realizing like it's all over. It's like mm-hmm. every day could be your last day. It's oh, like absolutely. I live in terror knowing, knowing that John, is, John has passed. It's the strangest thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. Right, because John was young. Mm-hmm. John John Volos was he was young. Yeah, he was no longer partying. He just died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I John and I were friends on Facebook, and and he, he was, was a, a friend of the show. He was yeah, a friend of the show, and very very fun to argue with and yeah. debate and stuff. <laughs> uh, oh God, what that is that motherfucker? That's what you talk about arguing. You haven't yeah, you haven't lived. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, here's a funny yeah. story. I was doing the thing on Facebook, and all of a sudden, the, you know, people are commenting on it. Right. So I'm I find myself in a discussion. It, it's me, John Vulich, and Ike Willis, the lead singer from Frank Zappa. Yeah, <laughs> right. Which <laughs> is weird. This only happens on Facebook. <laughs> um, yeah. What, what what is my babysitter the superhero? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Well, uh, John died, and uh, my whole life went completely upside down. I laid in bed for about three months. You know, I don't know if you guys have that one person that, like, you have a meeting, and someone pisses you off in the meeting, and you get in the car, and you pick up the phone to call either your friend or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you go, this motherfucker pisses me off. Sure. And no matter what, you know that that person is going to be on the same level of agreement with you like usually on the same page and john was my person so i did not know what i was going to do in life i i had been driving in the same car with the person next to me for 40 years and that person was gone so i didn't know what i was going to do i didn't even know if i wanted to stay in los angeles i didn't know if i was going to just go back home my parents are getting older and i thought i can't i don't know if i can do this and so i really thought a lot about it and i thought to myself you know what L.A. is such an awful place to live, and it's so expensive. It's so crazy expensive that, like, 
I'm not going to live here anymore if I'm not doing what I want to do. I just am not doing it. And I'm also no longer going to ask the permission of people that are less talented than me to let me do what makes me happy. I don't care if I have to shoot a movie on a flip phone. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start doing that or I'm going to leave and I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i go work at Channel 30 Action News in Fresno and, like, and, and, and turn my back on this shitty town with these shitty people here and you know guys it happened again the law of attraction it happened again I said I know all this stuff from Disney about how to make a decent kids movie I'm going to make a kids movie I don't have a penny I don't know how I'm going to do it I'm doing it so I wrote this screenplay I'm very good friends with an actress named Miley Flanagan who is my secret weapon in everything that I do she's very talented very funny she's from Disney Lab Rats at the kids show she's a big star in the kids world and I went to her and said, can I write you a movie that's basically Mrs. Doubtfire meets Power Rangers where the babysitter is um, secretly like a Power Ranger kind of character. She said, I'd love it. I'll do it. I said, okay. So I wrote the screenplay, and um, I met this kid who owned uh, some red cameras and, uh, and some light, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make a movie. Do you want to come in as a 50-50 partner with me and I'll share ownership of the movie? Let's make a movie. I know editors that will do this. It'll cut it for nothing. We, we'll get them to hold their bills. And they jumped on. The script turned out decent. And then the next thing I know, Mo Collins from Parks and Rec, who's my best friend, said she'll be in the movie. And then Alex Scooby from The Fosters from ABC Family said he'd be in the movie. And then Jim O'Hare from, they called Jim O'Hare from, um, from Parks and Rec, and he said he would be like all these like amazingly famous people. Not one penny that got paid. Understand wow. that? Wow. We wow. made. I shot this. I shot this movie in twelve days. I, I when I was directing uh, Power Rangers, I, I had directed Power Rangers for a brief period of time after I did Voices, and I became friends with one of the Blue Rangers, and he's uh, Mr. Chat. This guy named Mike Chat. He owns the biggest stunt school in. Um, in LA I went to him I said do you want to direct second unit on this movie I'm doing it for no money you're not going to make a penny uh, you can use the, my movie as an advertisement for your school you can put all your students in the movie he said done he got on the movie he talked to his friend who was a flying specialist he said we have no money do you want to come do some flying stuff in the movie the guy said no problem did it for free all these services wow. came to us for free based on the fact that I just said I'm fucking doing it I'm tired of going to meetings where 23-year-olds are asking me what I've done and the, what my background is, and they don't right. know what's going on, and they're not letting they're not letting me do the kind of things that I want to do. I don't want to do any more bad horror films. I don't want to do Ginger Dead Man. I want to do what I want to do. So, so it all came together. Well, as it turns out, the movie's turning out good, and um, mostly that is because of the the talent that is in it. Like you can't tell that it's a low-budget movie because these are all hot top-shelf actors. Right. So we made a trailer. We made a trailer, and the trailer has turned out really good. And, and when it's polished, I'll send it to you guys to see. You, you'll see what I mean. Um, from that, I was able to get John Lachago, who's like this really good After Effects artist, to do all the flying. There's like there's a ton of like flying and fireballs. You know, it's, it's Power Rangers, but with the old lady. Sure, and, um, sure. And from that, a guy with money saw the trailer. Nice. and called ah. me and said what do you want to do and I said I want to start a kids label of kids kids movies and um, hang on the company's trying to come in here uh, and the guy said what do you need and I said I want to do these little 200 dollars 300 thousand dollar 
kids' movies. Um, and uh, and he said, okay. Nice. <laughs> nice. And he broke that's, me a check. He broke, and he even, broke me a check. Even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really and cool. I, yeah, and I'm doing, I finished my babysitter, the superhero. I'm getting ready to go to Ohio to do, uh, I'm doing the three bears and the perfect gift. It's like all people in special effects uh, makeups to look like these really cool kind of country bear jamboree makeups they kind of look like. Yeah. And um, Jeffrey Sherman, who's the son of the Sherman brothers, um, heard about the project and offered to write some songs for it. So I'm just, I'll tell you something. It's, it is my single most greatest accomplishment that I faced my fear and did not let the system choke me out and 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 made this happen just because I tried. I mean, I, I'm just so blown away, you know. I love it. I love that. Absolutely, yeah. dude. Thank you. That that. By the way, that that's the secret project, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's. I, I'm, okay. I'm launching a label. I'm, I'm launching a label called uh, Candy Bar Entertainment, and it's and it's just the greatest. The greatest thing ever! I'm just so proud and so happy, and that's awesome. That is so awesome. Making, yeah, I'm just really happy. I'm, just, I can't believe it. I just told the guy that the money bags. I just told him, literally this morning. I just was like, I just can't thank you enough for like taking a chance like this. It's just so, it's just so unbelievable. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's it awesome. finally happened. I've been trying to do this for like eight years. You know. Yeah. Finally happened. every week I really do feel honored about it too right. to be able to just talk with people and, and get a glimpse on, on this stuff it's, yeah. it's very very it's cool. easy to forget when you when you don't live in the LA area mm-hmm. um, that you, even your heroes are you know they're working mm-hmm. and they're struggling and they're they're you know it doesn't matter where they are in their career mm-hmm. they are constantly trying to get the gig you know and uh, uh, I, I'm really excited that uh, William is uh, is doing this children's thing it's, yeah it's, it's, it's very cool. it's a great idea and it's a great way also to introduce genre whatever the genre is but introduce genre to to a younger audience yeah absolutely that's very cool oh let's see moon on the news um, there's a 50 50th anniversary 2K restoration of The Great Silence coming. The Great Silence is one of these movies, it's a early spaghetti western where a dude that doesn't speak is this super badass guy yeah, singer. It's, it's really it's a great really, movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's exciting. I kind of wish they would have 
done a 4K, but they're saying it's just a 2K. So, um, but still, it's nice that that's going to be available for a lot of people because it's one of those spaghetti westerns that um, doesn't get name checked as as hard as it should. Yeah. Um. Uh, Clue, the movie Clue. They've been threatening to reboot it. Now they're saying that it's going to be rebooted with Ryan Reynolds and the guys who wrote the Deadpool films. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I it's it's kind of uh, uh when you hear this news, it's like <laughs> the Deadpool writers. I think based on this new trailer, um, kind of have a very cool sensibility, and we'll get to that new trailer in a second. But, um, Ryan Reynolds, sure. You know, I mean, he puts asses in seats, I guess. Yeah. I don't know that it's a good... It all depends on how they how they do it. It's a, it's a... I would have rather than see Clue remade, honestly. I would rather have seen something like Murder by Death remade. Sure. You know? Yeah, that, yeah. It deals with a lot of the same themes and what have you. It does. But, but it doesn't get hobbled, I think, by that multiple ending and, and and that's why you know one of the reasons why Clue is getting remade is just because it was so mm-hmm. popular as a game and then again as a movie the movie a lot of people like to shit on it but it's got its charm you know Lee Vane from Fear is in it uh, Madeline Kahn is, is great crazy. in it yeah I yeah. know, I know. <laughs> um, yeah so uh, I, I, I'm hopeful but on the other hand I have a feeling that it's just a weird idea. So, all right, we'll see. Uh, Meltdown Comics in Nerd Melt Showroom is closing on April 1st. Um, it just occurred to me that, that it's April 1st and April Fool's Day, so it, it, this may not happen, but it looks like it is. Yeah. Um, uh, Meltdown is where the Nerdist was born. Right. And all of that other stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it further goes to the um, the the stuff that's happening to your nearby outlet of things like comics and that kind of right. stuff. It's a tough time for bookstores. Yeah. It's an even tougher time it's for... It's becoming an online world. Yeah. And, and, uh, which is sad. Which is sad, yeah. Because there's, there's something about going to the local comic book store, the local yeah. video store. And I try not to look at it through a nostalgic lens. Mm-hmm. I try to look at it as an actual experience mm-hmm. lens. But when you talk to people who haven't experienced it, mm-hmm. to they, them it's a nostalgic. Thing. Yeah, they don't yeah, care. Yeah, they don't but care. I, I would argue that getting into in a room with a lot of different people who you're drawn only by your interests, right? Only it, good things can come from absolutely. that. Absolutely. Especially like as a guy like me who who doesn't go out a lot. Where when I do go out, I look forward to those times when I I get to stand and talk to people about yeah. my favorite things. So absolutely. Um, this is kind of it's they're kind of rolling it out. This was exciting though. They're bringing all the Monty Python films to Netflix. to Netflix. Yeah. Um, throw on the TV series and I get really excited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I. Am I wrong? Were they not throwing out I a TV series? I don't remember. I From can't. what I saw, it looked like just the films. Okay. But um, then again, if it sounds like a blanket you know, like that. You know, one of the coolest things I ever saw was on Netflix at one time. It no longer is. And it was the uh, the extended, uh, I, I want to call it a series, of uh, the, the kind of the behind the scenes of Monty Python. Oh, right. It, it was so good. Yeah, it was yeah. so good. Yeah. There, Graham Chapman has a book out on that 
Um, there's a good documentary called about Graham Chapman called It's a Brown Pants Affair. Uh-huh. Um, that was talked about a lot about his life. If you go on YouTube, there's a great clip of uh, Cleese at Chapman's funeral redoing the yeah. bird, the parrot sketch. Yeah. And it's very, very cool. It's awesome. It's the way uh, to get remembered. There's also uh, the autobiography of a liar. Yeah. Which is really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I won't. I, there, there was a. Eric Idle and Palin, I think, launched a, a, a show called. A, it's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Yeah. And it was a, it was an orchestra. They had people come out and and sing and no 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 And it was okay. Um, not like for example like Monty Python Live at the Hollywood Bowl. Or right, right, right. Good stuff. Um, but, by the way, that that reminds me of something I heard this morning. I heard an hour long interview with Derek Smalls. Really? From Spinal Tap, who has a new album coming out. I bet he does. Yes. <laughs> I bet he does. And it was hilarious. Harry Shearer, right? Yeah, Harry Shearer. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward yeah, to checking that fun. out. I, the, the, the Spinal Tap, the Ruddles, all that kind of stuff, right. it all is like a, it's a good joke, but it's not a very deep joke. No, no. You know, and you no. kind of go, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's the kind of joke that as time goes on, I find, like, if you're not of a certain age, you don't get it, mm. you know, because you don't know about, um, you know, the stories of, you know, for Spinal Tap, in, 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 for example, the stories of heavy metal bands, you know, just fucking up. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And yeah. Uh, That's what makes that movie so great. It's so good. Uh, let's see. Severin Films is releasing um, two things to Blu-ray. Vi- uh, Laura Gemser's Emmanuel and the Last of the Cannibals. Yes. And Violence in a Woman's Prison. Exciting. It's yeah. For that stuff to get be available again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, looks like they've cleaned it up. I don't know about special features, but the sets look nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in a recent interview, Ronda Rousey talked about she's officially going to WWE. Yeah, well, I mean, she's, you know, she's been doing that, what, for, I don't know. But she's now, like, she's talking about it. She's like, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, you know, all I can think of is getting head kicked by Holly Holm must make you just see Jesus, right? And make you rethink your entire life. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, you know, I mean. And then I think about Cyborg. How easily Cyborg... This is going to be MMA talk. How yeah. easily Cyborg cut through Holly Holm, and I imagine what she would have done to... Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Rhonda was, was one of those people, um, kind of like Mike Tyson, mm. who in the beginning just seemed... Unbeatable. Just seemed unbeatable. Yeah. Until somebody picks that lock. Yeah. And then once that well, happens... I think it's like... I always equate this kind of shit to the four-minute mile, where if the four-minute mile was impossible for you... Right. And then one guy did it, and then a bunch of guys that did whole, it. it and, yeah. and that's the way this it always is. Kind of is. It's, like, it's like once somebody shows, oh, this can happen, mm-hmm. then, I don't know, it, it, it kind of like uh, uh, unlocks... The yeah. fetters that have been holding people back, you know. In a weird way, you're ready for this to get really dorky. It's kind of like the the force. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of by by imagining or seeing that it's possible, imagining that it's possible, right? You're you're able to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I, you know what I what I kind of look forward to is uh, look, you were an MMA fighter. Now you're in the mm-hmm. you know professional wrestling world. 
you've already done a movie. Mm-hmm. Couple. Uh, movie career has to be next, right? Well, she's done a couple movies. She's in the. Um, and she's she's young enough that she could she could really do something with it. Yeah, but there's a lot of animosity out there. A lot of the MMA people were, felt like she just walked away and abandoned the sport. And, yeah. Well, I don't know. You know. I, I know. I just think, I mean, I'm not denying that the WWE is hard on athletes. Sure. Um, it ain't fighting. So, right. so stop posturing like it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Um, Disney is going to add a bunch of superhero-themed lands in, by, in 2020. Because they're working balls out on this new Star Wars thing. Right. There's, they just uh, released a video where they um, flew a drone through all of the construction. Right, right, right. It looks very cool. Yeah. You know? If you're into that kind of thing, like the Harry Potter land and whatever else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dude. The Harry Potter thing. Mm-hmm. If you ever get a chance to mm-hmm. do it, it's fucking awesome. I'm a nominal fan of it, and I think that just going there would be fun. It doesn't even matter. Like, yeah. What you, like, the ride itself is... I've I've never been on a ride like that mm. before, and it that's cool. It, and I'm not that guy. And I, I was just well, like, I love all that. Let's stuff. go back and do it again. Yeah, and I do love it all again. that stuff. Yeah. Um. Uh. This is exciting, probably only to a handful of people. But Brian Eno announced a nine LP right. box set called Music for Installations, which he's calling um, will have new, rare, and previously unreleased tracks. These are all from the art installations he's done. Right. And people forget, like, Ambient One, the first Ambient record. Yeah. That was from a music for airports. It yes. was an installation he did in an airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, Brian Eno, man. It's good stuff. There's some clunky bits in there, but overall, yeah, good stuff. I Well, I think that I think the brightest mo- moments of Brian Eno's career is that his collaborations with with artists, yeah, because left on his own, he's gonna go, you know, into the stratosphere. Mm-hmm. But if you're again fettered mm-hmm. with having to work with an artist who's trying to actually sell albums, right? Um, there's some amazing stuff that guy has done. Oh sure, yeah, sure. This uh, set, it'll have a 64-page booklet. It'll be available on May 4th. Nice. So that's exciting. I heard about a thing Seth Rogen's doing called Hilarity for Charity. Um, it's to benefit Alzheimer's research. Wow. It's a live show that I'm sure will be streamed. Mm-hmm. Lineup includes, listen to this, Tiffany Haddish, Sarah Silverman, Michelle Wolf, Wolf John Mulaney, Greg Robinson, The Muppets, Nick Kroll, Kumel Nanjani, Sasha Baron Cohen, Michael Che, and Jeff Goldblum. Wow. It's going to be great. Wow, wow, wow. Very, very cool. Or awful. No, I think it'll be good. As <laughs> as great as like let's say the um the Nine of Too Many Stars has been. Or right, right, right. Um, Robert Hall, who directed uh, Laid to Rest, if you know what that movie is. Yeah. The guy with the metal face. Yeah. Uh, is remaking Chopping Mall. Yeah, without the robots. Yeah, some other thing. It's like what? Uh, just by well, so first you're just of all, buying the name. First of all, uh, Chopping Mall. Yes, it has it has that weird distinction of being like a an eighties genre classic, mm-hmm. but it was always just a really cheap movie. I mean, it's a terrible film. It's a terrible <laughs> film. Who's the director? What's that guy's I, I name? I don't remember. But like he went on to just make you know TNA movies. Sure. Um, the the witches of Brestwick and <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, uh, like someone like David Dakota. Or but having <clears> said that, you know I. 
I have a lot of respect for those guys, you know, because they they kept doing it, you well, know, they kept things, making it. You right, know? exactly. Yeah, exa exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, Chopping Mall for me is always, it falls in that category of, like, films that people really love that I like, um... That generally aren't Popcorn good. comes to mind. Curtains comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's just like, this isn't a very good film, guys. And, yeah. But I think they, through that veil of Nostalgia, maybe they they appreciate it better. Well, and there's also, I mean, there's a cheese factor mm -hmm. that that people, again, I think nostalgic people <coughs> really are attracted to. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a great title. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Chopping Mall is a, yeah, it's is, a great title. It's an amazing title. Uh, Elizabeth Moss from um, Handmaid's Tale, Melissa McCarthy, and Tiffany Haddish are cast in Andrew Burlop, who wrote. Straight out of Compton, he's adapting DC's film, female-led crime drama, The Kitchen. Okay. I bring it up mostly because here's a here's a comic book movie that's not a superhero movie, from what I can tell. I don't know the the the, the franchise real well, but I just uh, it it sounds like something a little more adult, and that's always good. Uh, for some reason, they're re we talked about it last week. They're rebooting Men in Black. With right. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah. They just added Tessa Thompson, who plays Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok. Mm hmm. Sure. Sure. Okay. Add everybody. Yeah. Uh, and this one, um, Bruce Campbell is being interviewed because of the new rollout, um, the rollout on the new season for Ash vs. Evil Dead. And he, he said that uh, if Stars cancels Ash vs. the Evil Dead, you can forget about. And the, uh, Evil Dead 4 and what's happening and the, he's been on this sort of campaign about this people are bootlegging the show right and not subscribing to stars right and, and that's where the money comes and from. that's where the money comes from and if stars doesn't think like we're not making mon any money off of this they're right. going to cancel it yeah, yeah yeah and so the thing that you love is going to go away because you are too cheap to pay right whatever yeah 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 so you have no one to blame but yourself. Um, trailer out this week for a Mia Kunis, Kate McKinnon movie called The Spy Who Dumped Me. The Spy Who Dumped Dump Me. me. Um, Mia Kunis meets a guy. They, they date for a while. They break up. Months later, she discovers he's a spy. And they're at, they think she and her friend have the information. It looks kind of like a female-led Jason Bourne with um, comedy, right? Not not in my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I looked at it and I kind of like. Didn't we cover most of this in that Melissa McCarthy movie Spy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which in and of itself was kind of derivative. Yeah. Um, come to Blu-ray from Scream Factory on May eighth. The House That Dripped Blood. Never before. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. That's very. That's cool. very cool. That's very very cool. I look I love that this stuff um, is is being made available again. Yeah. Um, and I love what Screen Factory and Synapse and all those guys are doing. Hey, Shop Factory. By the way, do what you need to do and make a Blu-ray special edition of the Spookies. There you go. The Spookies. I I, I don't believe the Spookies is even available on DVD. Yeah. I can't. I no. Don't get me wrong, it's a horrible movie, but 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 John Dodds 
Friend of the show, John Dodds. Yeah, friend of the show, John Dodds. John Dodds. Um, uh, 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 Vincent Guastini. Oh wow. Um, a lot of folks that that affects people know uh, worked on this movie. Right on. And uh, you know, back when they were you know fledgling. And uh, it's really cool to see that stuff if you're if you're a fan, especially if you were like a, a reader of Cinemagic back in the uh, in the eighties, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my god, like look, they're working on this thing, you know, and not knowing at the time what it was going to become, you know. Right. Ken Brilliant was, was oh, involved. Wow. There's a lot of wow. people. Yeah, I remember so, it coming out. Yeah. Um. Zach Penn, who wrote Ready Player One, Avengers, and stuff like that, and Men in Black, says he's still working on the on the ex, uh, the Matrix expansion. Hack. Why? Why? <laughs> I don't know. I, if Neo is the one, then isn't everyone everything yeah, else number two? Like, yeah, exactly. It's like that. You know, that was my problem with the sequels to that movie. Is like once I saw the first one. There's nothing you can do in the in the second and the yeah. third that's going to make me go. We wow. should have we should have just that movie should have ended with everyone in those pods waking up and right. pulling that exactly. shit out of their heads yeah, yeah, yeah. starting a new very have it end very much like let's say something like Logan's Run. Did. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Spielberg says there may be a Tin Tin Two. Okay, I guess. I, I guess I you know I. I don't know if it... I, I guess it had to be around when I was a kid because it wasn't totally foreign to me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I, I I remember as a kid like thinking, this isn't for me, you know, and I yeah, didn't pay fall, any attention. For me, it falls in that same category as like Asterix the Gull. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, should yeah. care about now, this. Or Little Nemo in Slumberland. Having, having said that, have you have you seen the movie? The, the uh, Tintin, Tintin movie. no. It's good. Yeah. It's really good, so it might sway you. Yeah. Um, I like the premise. It's very much, you know, Johnny Questy. Right. Kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Boy, yeah. Hardy it Boys. It feels... Re- it's kind of like when I first saw... Um, feels nev- furrin. Never. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Never-ending story. Right? I'm watching Never-ending story, and I'm like, why does this feel so weird? I story. love it, but yeah. it feels weird, right? Yeah. And it's because it's shot. It's a foreign film. Yeah. You know, but... The sensibility is different. They don't market it that, mm-hmm. as that, so you're just like. It's also evident in the pacing. You know, there, yes. there's certain things that are accepted in in certain from yeah, certain yeah, countries yeah. that aren't accepted Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Um, by the way, Ready Player One. Uh, I just watched uh, Fat Man on Batman, and both Kevin and Mark saw it, uh-huh. and they said it's phenomenal. I'm sure it's going to be great. I I'm sure it's going to be completely lost on me because. I've only played. Like, well, they say it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not just games. Okay. It's this avalanche of pop culture. And he said at one point, Kevin said, if you, if you've ever wanted to see this character like Mickey Mouse standing next to Iron Giant, boom, there boom. it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Um, this won't mean anything to you, but it may to somebody out there. Pacific Rim Uprising, which is getting really shitty reviews. A guy named Steven S. DeKnight wants to do a Doom Patrol movie. Well, I want to start shitting nickels. Wait, wait, uh, okay. <laughs> so, well, what is his involvement with the Pacific Rim 2 movie? Um, he directed it. Oh. Yeah. 
Pacific Rim Uprising, oh, the new yeah, one, the, the yeah, Transformers yeah. one the, that we've been shitting on for a week. Like, just looks awful. It's getting it's getting ravaged in the reviews. And he wants to do this very famous comic series called Doom Patrol. Uh, well, yeah, you want to do? I want to do a lot of things, you know, yeah. like I say. But look, motherfucker, know. make all you. I'll watch that. <laughs> um. Spice Girls are planning an animated superhero movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Why? Well, I don't know. I'll tell you why. Because all of those girls are now... The Spice Girls are now Spice Women. Right. And they can't... They, you know, and they, they can't have Spice it. Kids. Yeah. They, yeah. And worse, they have Spice Hips, yeah. and which don't allow well, high kicks. In. Okay, so... <laughs> when, when the Spice Girls were talking about a reunion... Yeah. Um, I think there were a lot of people maybe a part of that. Yeah, I think so too. And a lot of people were kind of like excited. <laughs> I wasn't, but a lot yeah, of people were. Yeah, you're right, exactly. And it's kind of disappointing to realize that this is what. Yeah, this may be the end result because yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, some of them have kids and they don't want to tour. Yeah. but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then finally, there's a trailer out um, that I didn't include in our list of trailers up next, but. There's a trailer out for the new Superfly remake, and there's a reason we're not reviewing. <laughs> number one, it looks terrible, but number two, it's it walks this weird line of like paying homage to black exploitation, right, and committing all of the sins that black exploitation um, committed. Everyone's a pimp. Everyone's a gangster. Right. right. I mean, I understand the story, but but it's really hard in the day where we have true heroes like Black Panther. Right, exactly. Too. And it's it's not like that can be forgiven if mm -hmm. it's the sequel to Black Dynamite mm -hmm. because that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, but if it, you know, but a straight this movie... This is a little too earnest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, moving on to trailers. Um, we'll just go alphabetically, alphabetically, I guess. First step, Action Point. It's a new movie by Johnny Knoxville and the Jackass people, I, I guess Dick House Productions. Right, right. Uh, tells the story loosely based on a real place called Action Park in New Jersey where like 15 people died. Right. Um, go online. There's a great little documentary about it. Uh, and this is sort of um, no money amusement park who decides, well... If we're going to get crushed, let's just, in a very meatballs way, yeah. Um, let's just go for it. Yeah. And in real life, they installed a wave pool where the waves were too much, and people were, they were just scooping people out of that place. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's perfect, because it's basically Johnny Knoxville falling again and again and again. Right. You know. Um, it also uh, uh, tips his hat to, uh, what was it, Grant Bad? Grandpa, bad grandpa, yeah, yeah. with the I makeup, mean, where, where he's wearing a lot of the makeup, and, and, and I get the idea that he's kind of passing on this story. Mm -hmm. to, to it sounds like half of the film is him in the old man makeup, right? And then he, with his great his granddaughter, he's still. Uh, Did I ever tell you about how your old pop had a thing? And and then it goes back into. I, I watching it, I would say this. Uh, watching the trailer, I would say this that uh, this will appeal to. Jackass fans. Yeah, if you like Jackass, yeah. you're gonna love this. Yeah. If if you um uh liked any of the other stuff that they did, for example, the oh shit, the Ringer. Uh huh. Uh, the Ringer is when you read the synopsis, which is a guy 
wants to win the Special Olympics, so he pretends to be mentally handicapped. Right. It's really offensive. But yeah. damn it, does that, that film works. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. funny, it's sympathetic, and you come away um, really getting an idea. I never about it. I never was into the whole jackass thing. Mm. But I at the same time I respect that they were able to figure out that early uh conceit of comedy mm-hmm. and that it's funny to watch somebody fall down. Yeah. It's funny to watch somebody And they've just ramped it up. Yeah, you know, exactly. There. Yeah. So there you go. Um, next up, the big elephant in the room this week was a release of the Avengers Infinity War trailer. Yeah. Um, it's big, it's colorful, and I have no idea what the fuck is going on <laughs> in I, any of this. Well, you know, Marvel fans will be able to tell you. Yeah, I'm sure they yeah. would, but I don't I don't want to have to go to a movie and have to have done all, all this research. Well, the, you know, the thing is, is that I hate whenever movies like it's like let's add this character and this character and this character and this character and I realize by its very nature this movie has to be like that. Um, I think something like that's better suited. I'd rather see an Infinity Wars HBO series, one season yeah. long, you know, ten episodes. Um, but uh, you know the interesting it's thing. It's long. The film is like two forty-five. It's almost three hours long. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about this is that this might be the first time that we start seeing um, characters in the Marvel universe, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. killed off. Yeah. Oh, there's a guarantee. They kind of tipped their hat today when Chris Evans said that he won't appear after Infinity War Two. Right, right. Or whatever Avengers Four. Whatever the next movie is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I think it's pretty clear that um, there's all this. Um, Supposition online. I mean, if there was if there was a character ever made to die, it's Tony Stark. It's there's a lot of talk about Tony Stark. There's a lot because of the, in the trailer they show Thor in a compromised position. Right. They show uh, Vision in an ultra, a compromised position. Yeah. But there's an awful lot going on um, in this trailer. Yeah, it's like all kinds of shit, and yeah. uh, you know the thing about that is like I. I because Thanos is, you know, a god or mm-hmm. godlike being, I, I don't feel like I can get emotionally invested in any of this. Yeah, it's it's all kicky punchy and yeah, yeah, and yeah. who really cares. Yeah. Um, next up, can you forgive me? Um, Melissa McCarthy in a drama. It looks like about a forger. This looks cool. It looks great. It looks fantastic. It reminds uh, me of the true story. Yeah. It reminds me of the Stephen Colbert episode of Law and Order: Criminal Intent, right? Where he was. Aping the the writing of some prophets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this looks great. But Melissa McCarthy uh, shines in this trailer. Yeah. Um, and uh, the dude love interest or fellow drunk is the dude from like With Nail and I. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Exactly. This looks amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm really excited to see this. Uh, next up, Deadpool two. Uh, by the way, so before we get started, outscoring the original in test screenings. That's what folks keep saying. I, based on the trailer, I'm really and I love Deadpool. Mm-hmm. I love Deadpool. It's definitely more of the same. I'm yeah. It's definitely more of the same. And I think maybe because of that, I'm not as excited mm-hmm. about it. Um, it's not yeah. It's not a novelty anymore. I feel like you know, certain phrases and things. It's just like, well, of course you're gonna say that. Mm-hmm. You know? And and it's not funny. 
you yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of, I saw a breakdown of it online. There's a lot of, it's very referential. There's a lot of, you know, the, even the scene of um, the cabbie waiting and him running down the street. Right, right, right. Um, is derivative or, or taken from something within that universe. Right, exactly. But I'll be damned if I um, um, know what the fuck that is. Uh, next up, um, Sicario 2 Soldado. This is more of that grim crime stuff. Yeah, uh, I know a lot of people who really, really, really love that Sicario. movie, Sicario. Mm -hmm. and, it's uh, brutal stuff. It's brutal stuff. I mean, it looks good. This, you know what it reminded me of in a weird way? Logan. Yeah, um, yes. I'm sent guys, uh, or, or Man on Fire in a weird way. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. this case, a uh, guy is sent to kill a uh, to take care of a kid and he gets to know her and then he's given the order to kill her. Right. And he goes rogue. Yeah. It looks good. Um, next up, uh, D David Robert Mitchell who directed It Follows has a new movie coming out called Under the Silver Moon. Right. Um, Andrew Garfield. It's an and A24 movie. Mm -hmm. um, kind of noir. You know, we're like a modern yeah, noir. Um, and we don't know exactly... Something about a guy that meets a girl and then she goes missing and he goes starts to investigate in right. her life. And then there's like this whole other thread of conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. and we don't know. You know, and I suppose this is probably true of the movie as well as the trailer. We don't know if it's real. We don't know how much of it is, is in it his head. head. Yeah. 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 yeah, I'm in. I'll, I'll yeah, I throw it on my queue. Sure, it looks. Um, won't go to the movie theater. It looks though. well made. It Absolutely looks well acted. Yeah. 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 Um. Next up, a documentary called Westwood, Punk Icon Activist, about Vivian Westwood. Right. Her career and her new career as a political a political activist. Yeah, and uh, just based on my own personal interests, I totally want to see this. Yeah, I, I do too. Um, I think a lot of people forget, you know, people talk about Malcolm McLaurin all the time, and they forget how important Vivian Westwood was yeah, to huge. the punk mu movement. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Her impact cannot be denied. Agreed. And then finally, uh, my pick of the week on this one is the Fred Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My oh Neighbor. Oh, my God. How many people do you know that are grown men that watched this trailer and cried? A, a lot. A lot. <laughs> a lot. I, I did. And, well, and here's the thing. is like, as a little kid, I always remembered Mr. Rogers as being the not cool show on PBS. Yeah. Right? I, I was always more interested in like the cool hippie songs on Sesame Street mm -hmm. or something like that um, and yet and, and so I thought I didn't watch Mr. Rogers that much and yet looking at this I'm like I watched Mr. Rogers a lot yeah and maybe it was unintentionally while you were waiting for that other right, stuff exactly. to start yeah, yeah 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 I, I do know this. I was always fascinated with the very beginning of Mr. Rogers and had the miniature of the whole neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Well, let alone when you... And then now that you start learning about, like, what a, what an advocate he was and how he just was a decent guy. There's a there's a quote in the docu in the documentary trailer that says you know, he was he 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 represents the best in us. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. It's true. Absolutely. It's true. And... Uh, all the messages that he was portraying on the show were amazing. Mm -hmm. Talked about things that you kind of look back now and you're like, it's shocking mm -hmm. that they talked about it. Suicide. Suicide. And, and, and death. It, it, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And uh, Divorce. They talk about it in the trailer. It's amazing. And 
this is the this is the one guy that I can think of that's like that. I can't remember anybody saying anything bad about this guy. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. no. I, I think he is the rare case of what you see is what you get. Yeah, what you get is just a a guy that figured out early on that it's easier, it's it's better. It may be more difficult, but it's better in the long run to just exude this sort of, yeah, you know, be a human warm blanket, and you know? and just the fact that he recognized how important it was to children's development mm-hmm. to provide that type of a, a, a model and that right. type of a service. I agree, and the thing that really impressed me most about him, and and as I did an adult, I've always tried to remember is, is the ability to look a child in the eye and not talk to him like he's an idiot. Right. You know, talk to him within within the context of his development. Right. But not like an idiot. Right, right. Exactly. And I always respected that about that guy. Yeah. Um, moving on to what we've been watching, do you have anything? Um, I finally watched uh, Professor... Uh, Professor Marston. Oh, okay, good. Oh, yeah. Oh my God, it's really good. It's so good. It's like excellent. It is. It's amazing. It's amazing. So anybody with, so it's going to cover a wide variety of topics. Anybody with an interest in um, DC Comics, Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. polyamory, Mm -hmm. bondage. You got to watch this movie. There you, you go. gotta watch this movie. It's so good, and the all the actors are great. Uh, Luke Evans plays in it. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember her name, but the 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 lady who played the wife in the Prestige. Um, okay. It's amazing, and it's and it's very very interesting to see how the character of Wonder Woman developed, and didn't realize that this guy who created Wonder Woman is also him and his wife are the same people who created the modern day lie detector. And how Wonder Woman's mm. lasso of lasso truth, truth yeah. uh, stemmed from that. There's so much of that kind of stuff in it. It's amazing. Everybody, right should, everybody should check it out. I also watched uh, a documentary on Amazon Prime called uh, Tarzan: Story of the Legend. Nice. Um, nice. And it's very cool. It really goes into um, the development of Tarzan, uh, the different iterations of Tarzan throughout the years what Edgar Rice Burroughs liked, what he didn't like about what Hollywood did. It sounds like that thing they did on Bond. It's it's so good. It's yeah. so good. Okay. It's really interesting, you know, they 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 don't speak to it in this in the light that I, I wish they would have. But it does speak to the um irony that uh Tarzan whose movies are problematic racially mm-hmm. throughout the years but the idea of Tarzan stemmed from Edgar Rice Burroughs being in the cavalry, the 7th Cav, with these guys who fought in the American Indian Wars Mm -hmm. and was repulsed by the racism that he saw them. You know, they just, all these old dudes were just like, ah, you know, the old good Indian is a dead Indian. And that he wanted to make a a movie of, uh, for lack of a better word, the noble savage who... uh, Who's, the stories celebrate uh-huh. these people, um, so it's it's really interesting and it's really cool to check out. And finally, I watched a documentary also on Amazon Prime called Art Gods, which is about the art department at Tower Records. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's like seventy-one minutes long. Um, 
and uh, it's really cool very very cool they talked to the guys that started the art department at the original tower records and then how it expanded from this store to that store until it <coughs> became like this thing my only complaint is they all the footage and interviews you know because they're talking to the beginning guys all the displays and things that you see are uh, are those early things. Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of the later in Tower, like in the 90s and early 2000s, before they shut down. You would see these like big, these huge paintings that were mm -hmm. basically replications of the album covers. Right. And uh, these guys are talking more about how they, you know, they discovered how to use foam core. Yeah. And exacto knives and things. I I. And it's it's very cool. It's I remember working at Tower yeah. and them having an art art department, an art room. Cliff Bishop and a guy named Larry Jackvis. Larry used to do this great, almost with little pastel um, crayons. Yeah, do like pointillism, and it was fucking amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah, but yeah. to but me, the art room was always synonymous about for where you got sent if you wanted to get high. <laughs> Everyone went and and they pot. talk about that. Yeah. Do they? Yeah, they talk That's about hilarious. that. That's hilarious. They talk about that a lot. That's uh, hilarious. But yeah, it, so I, I definitely recommend those three movies, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women, Art Gods, yeah. and uh, Tarzan, the story of the legend. Right on. Well, let's see. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm a huge Batman fan. So um, when Netflix sent me Batman Gotham by Gaslight, Right. Uh, I read the book. I was excited about the book. It, it, uh, it, it, it's very. I was expecting very much a sort of Victorian Batman. Right. Is that not the case? Yeah. It just it it hangs its hat on something that it has to do with Jack the Ripper. He's hunting Jack the Ripper. Uh -huh. The identity of Jack the Ripper is so preposterous that when it kind of starts to go down, it's like. No, 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 yeah. and then it happens, and it's just like this is super dumb. So I was kind of bummed, um, but uh, there's that. Didn't see anything else. I haven't been yeah. watching much. I've been really busy on the rewrite on the book. Yeah, I was going to say I'm two thirds of the way through. Nice. We're almost done. Um, reading anything? Um, in preparation for the terror. Yes. Which is the Ridley Scott produced uh, series for AMC, which which starts, I hear is good. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Uh, no, no, people are are now posting reviews of oh, having nice. seen the first. Oh, cool. Few. Yeah, uh, I think it starts uh, March twenty sixth. So mm -hmm. by the time you hear this, it will have started. Mm -hmm. um, so in preparation for that, I went back and and have been reading rereading Dan Simmons the Terror. Oh cool. That the whole thing is based on. Right on. Uh, and I hope I hope that the that the series is able to figure out the ending. Because the ending has always been problematic for me in mm. the book. But having said that, Dan Simmons, fuck. Like that guy is good amazing. Stuff. Yeah. Super good, good stuff. stuff. I'm still reading um Don Hamilton. I'm yeah. trying to savor it just because. Oh I my just, god! It's again, so good. I'm so busy with all this other stuff, and I'm looking for work, a new work, and a bunch of other shit. That yeah, I've just I'm just kind of digging what you know what I'm doing. Um, heard anything? Want to talk about musically or? Um, I ha obviously haven't heard it because it doesn't come out until Friday, March 30th. Um, but Betty Levette. Yeah. Yeah, Betty Levette has an album coming out called Things Have Changed, and it is. Her interpretations, R&B interpretations, 
of Bob Dylan songs. Now huh. she doesn't do she doesn't do the hits. She does the deeper cuts. Good. Um, and uh, which I think is is really important. Um, and uh, I mean, people like Trombone Shorty are oh, on wow. it. Keith Richards is on it. Um, it sounds wow. amazing. And Other, it's coming out. Yeah, it's coming out. Yeah. Wow. Other than the fact that she's seventy two. And her she's voice sounds like she's 72, but oh my God. Like so Yeah, she's just got, there's a great video. Look up uh, Betty LeVette doing um, Changes Gonna Come. Oh my God. Sam yeah. Cook did you Did you see the thing she did at the Kennedy Honors thing? She well, she did something at the, she sang that song with John Bon Jovi at Obama's inauguration. Well, she did a, she did a rendition. It was a thing honoring George Jones of all people. And they, uh, by the time they got to her, all the George Jones songs were taken. Mm. So she does a rendition of the Who's "Love Rain Over Me" oh! and brought the entire place down. It's, it's. I think it's available. You can look, find it on YouTube. Brought the entire place to tears. Oh man! Can you imagine? Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's. I'm like, yeah. It's so I, cool. I need this in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go through a big fat list again because I'm here at home looking for work <laughs> and I have nothing to do but listen to records. New Corey Adam has a book. Uh, Corey Adam has a record out called Jokes. It's very, very funny. Very, very funny stuff. Um, fuck, where to start? Let's start here. Be Between the Buried in Me. Get your pens out. Between the Buried in Me, they're kind of a math. Rush meets like a metal uh -huh. kind of sound. Record's called Ada Automata. So it's if you like that sort of really fast guitar work and screechy vocals, it's sure. great. Um, they reissued Matrix's Tale of the Whale, which is like kind of a fusion-y, good-time jazz sound. Okay. Um, um, shit. George Fitzgerald, All That Must Be. It's okay. Uh, Submotion Orchestra, Kites. And I found this band called Aukai, A-U-K-A-I. Their records, one's called, one's self-titled, the, the new one's called Branches of Sun. Ambient stuff. Fucking amazing. Just really beautiful and um, great to write to. Sure. Uh, Danagog, Afrobeats Culture, Nigerian Electronica. Okay. And it's very cool. It, has, it mixes a lot of that... African sounding music with a lot of what you would like with like craft work. Sure. Um, Biosphere is a new record out called the Hilvarinbeek Recordings. I'm a big Biosphere fan. Soundtrack to Tomb Raider. File under generic soundtrack music. Sure. Um, I found a new record that I'd never seen called I'm gonna screw this up. Un Idea Che Non Pue Fermar by Banco El Mutuoso Corso. <laughs> They're a 70s Italian prog rock band. Right. That are fucking amazing. We're almost done. Um, <laughs> Kubi. The band is called Kubi. The record is called Taiga. T-A-I-G-A. It's like uh -huh. ambient jazz. Really, really good. Group called Alva Noto. Not Alva Nova. <laughs> But Alvinoto, it's called, it's called Uniquav, Electric Ambient. Good stuff. Um, and then finally, a band called Eleven Acorn Lane. The record's called t t um, Time for Tea. Kind of a fun, super jazzy, fun, jazzy, electros meets, yeah, jazz. yeah, it's like Squirrel Nut, uh, Squirrel Nut Zippers uh, meets 
taco yeah meets weird yeah very weird <laughs> very fun um as i said in the review i because i put all these things up on facebook um perfect to clean your house too it's very bouncy and very fun and very very cool the cover the art was very cool and that's what drew me and that's how how i get a lot of this stuff where i just go that looks kind of cool that looks and cool yeah i give it a shot um that's it next week scheduled Sean, the return of Sean Lewis. Sean Lewis. We're going to bring Rotten Cotton and so many other things. Mostly, we're going to talk about the new Iben Press yes. comic stuff, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. just the shits. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing. That's going to that's going to be great, and then a lot of stuff coming up in April. Yeah. Um, Man. So cool. Crypticon's right around the corner. I know Crypticon is right around the corner. Are I got you ready? my assignment. Yeah, I got my assignments. Um, I'm doing Richard Brake and Jar Lansdale. I have not gotten any assignments. Um, I think that's what how that's going to go down. Ah. We'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about Dude, it. I'm sure. Jar Lansdale. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. want to be in that room. Yeah. How, how's it like? What's it I like? I have questions. I know. I have to do too. <laughs> um, so things are going great. Please tell people about the show. We're gonna. We're trying to bring the time down, which we're not doing a good job of. But um, we're trying to keep. The if you noticed the last this show and the last show, we didn't talk about dead people or people who had died. Yeah, I just yeah. think it's 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 important to note to note them, but it also kind of brings a room down. And also, I'm just trying. I'm really trying to bring this fucker in at like 90 minutes. Yeah. I don't want. We don't want to take up too much of your time. And that first hour is so critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we may do. Some for further retooling but anyway um thanks for listening L let some people know let us know what you think and where we can improve uh and we'll try to do that for the bonus material podcast i'm tom carnell and i'm langley west stay scary